We are Pixie and Ogre. This is an intersectional LGBTQIA plus friendly podcast led by two lesbians living in the sticks of North Carolina. We discuss topics that support our values, including pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-trans and gender non-binary, and pro-sex work, among many other topics. Pixie is me, Mel. I hold a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Ogre is Laura, who has no degrees or licenses, but just likes to hear her sarcastic fat-ass talk. Good morning. It's Pixie or Mel. And Laura, or the ogre. (laughs) And we're back with another episode. This one's going to be tough. Why is it going to be tough? These are tough topics. They are tough topics, but I think that it's a good time of year to talk about these topics and bring awareness to them and promote self-healing and let people know that it's okay, especially at this time of the year to, gosh, especially in the middle of this COVID shit. Yeah. I think it's been a really rough year on a lot of people. Yes. So we're going to be talking about mental health, trauma, addictions, and eating disorders. And I think all of those kind of, go, you know, play into each other and, and go together as far as just everything that's been going on this year. And yes, I don't know. Every time I, I go onto the news, it's it's just one more thing after another that's it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. So yeah. Yeah. Do you have articles for us this week? I do. I have some definitions too. Um, but I do want to start by saying, I, I think it's fair to say that there will be, you know, there should be a content and trigger warning because I think this topic needs to not be censored. So there will likely be talk about suicide and self injury and addictive behaviors and things that can be triggering. Absolutely. Childhood abuse, sexual assault, all the things. All the things, yeah. So if, you know, you're not in the right frame of mind, just save it for later. Um, And uh, my mom listens, so do with that as you will, mom. I love you, and (laughs) we'll all get through this. We will. Um, So as we tend to do, we kind of reflect on how these topics affect us, because I think that's why we come up with these in the first place. Right. So I have what would be considered CPTSD or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I just want to explain what that is. So complex trauma describes both children's exposure to multiple traumatic events, often of an invasive interpersonal nature, and the wide-ranging long-term effects of this exposure. These events are severe and pervasive, such as abuse or neglect. Okay. So the difference between that and PTSD, I think a lot of us think of PTSD like a singular event, a terrible car accident, uh, being at war, some kind of natural disaster, you know, living through a tsunami or a major earthquake. Hurricane Katrina. Exactly. Right. Complex PTSD, as explained by the definition, more long-term, long-lasting, and it creates the same post-traumatic stress responses like hypervigilance and people-pleasing and, you know, not advocating for oneself, but it's definitely more, I feel, insidious and easy to be overlooked. Okay. So that's complex trauma. So the complex trauma, I mean, is that something... Could that include like repeated exposure throughout your life? Absolutely. Like, does it kind of build on on itself? Yes. Okay. Yep. 
And um, then of course, mental illness. So mental illnesses, just a very basic definition. These are health conditions involving thinking, emotion, and or behavior, and the chemical imbalances that may go along with that. And then we have um, addiction. So addiction would be a complex brain condition that's manifested by compulsive substance use um, despite harmful consequence. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of addictions. So not just drugs and alcohol, but food, sex, social media, gambling. Right. I mean, there's a lot of addictions. Yes. Yes. And addictions, I think that, I think a lot of people don't want to admit that they have an addiction to something. Right. Because, you know, if it's not drugs or alcohol, then people don't really look at it as an addiction. That's true. There's a lot out there. Yeah. And, and it all goes back into the mental health aspect of it. Absolutely. And I can only speak for myself, but I honestly do feel that most of my mental health, eating disorder, uh, addiction issues all stem from trauma for me. That makes sense. I mean, I think there are genetic components. So I think we've talked about me having obsessive compulsive disorder. Just to recap, this is a chronic condition where a person has uncontrollable recurring thoughts or obsessions and then behaviors or compulsions that they feel the urge to repeat over and over to relieve the anxiety. There is a high genetic component with anxiety disorders in general, but oh, okay. especially with OCD. I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that there was a genetic yes. way to that. It's interesting. Yep. And then um, there are six categories of eating disorders. So the most common that we know of, anorexia. So this would be someone deliberately restricting um, their eating patterns, maybe having some body dysmorphia. They are very, very thin, but they perceive themselves as being larger. Anorexia, would that include um, not eating? Or That's right. Would that include, um, I don't even know what it's called anymore, um, binging and purging? That would be bulimia. Bulimia. Okay. Yep. So bulimia, there can be restricting with that as well. I, there re really can be restricting with most, if not all, eating disorders. Okay. But anorexia would be mostly like either not eating at all or having such a low, low calorie intake that the person it lose, loses an incredible amount of weight. Is that all associated with the body dysmorphia? It can be. It okay. doesn't have to be, but it, that typically is like a heavy influence on body shape, self-esteem, and the, the need to feel like that needs to be controlled in some way. That, that's what I was going to ask. Was yeah. it a control thing where they needed to control every single aspect of, of everything that goes in their mouth and how they look? And Yes. Okay. And what is little known about anorexia is because I think we like to put things in teeny tiny boxes is that folks who are suffering with anorexia do have moments and bouts of compulsive overeating okay. because their body is starving is, yeah. is, and so that, that compulsion becomes so great that there can be periods where there is compulsive overeating and then they go back to the restricting. Okay. Then, so is it possible to have an anorexia and bulimia kind of at the same time? Absolutely. A lot of these overlap because 
our body's needs become known that kind of our bodies are screaming for certain things and we ha- we end up ha- quote unquote giving in or basically doing what we need to to survive right our bodies are trying to stay alive um but bulimia would be um frequently eating large amounts of food um, and then finding a way to get rid of that food. So most commonly purging or vomiting up the food. Um, There's also uh, non-purging bulimia, which is what I had when I was younger, which was consuming large amounts of food and then compulsively exercising um, to try and work off the food. Yeah. And I mean, like, like I would have a slice of pizza and this was probably, I was probably around age 12 or 13. Wow. I would have a slice of pizza. And then what I would have to do to compensate for that was uh, ride my bike for an hour. Was that more of a control thing or were you just compelled to do it to work off that slice of pizza? I'm not sure to be honest. I don't know that I had the insight at that age. I just knew like dieting was what, people did as they got older. I was very aware that I wasn't like the tall, thin girls in my class. I was short and more round. Looking back, I wasn't even remotely overweight, but my body type was not what, you know, society said it should be. Wait, this was the mid nineties. So heroin chic was in, I mean, everyone was incredibly thin. Right. Right. And And supermodels were, you know, you were really big at that point, you know, Cindy Crawford. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you didn't, and I, and I feel like this, this goes back to, you know, a previous podcast where we were talking about body image and supermodels and, you know, the amount of Photoshopping and things that go into these pictures is, you know, this is what we're taught women are supposed to look like. That's right. So in order to be successful and to get a good man and have a good life, absolutely, you, you had to look like this. And well, it's not possible. No. And my my role models at that time were these grunge goddesses like Courtney Love, mm. who little did I know at 12 or 13, the reason they looked the way they did is because they were addicted to heavy drugs and not eating. Right. But I didn't know that. And so I'm just taking it in as like, that's the standard of beauty. And even at that age, I, I felt like that was uh, a fringe standard of beauty. So I felt like it was because I am different and I've always been weird. I felt like because it wasn't a pop star, but it was this grunge alt rock person that it made it somehow safer for me to immortalize them. Right. To aspire to be exactly. Like them. Right. Exactly. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, binge eating disorder is what I've had for most of my life, especially being an adult. So this would be the compulsive overeating without purging. Okay. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Even though I live with you yeah. <laughs> I, and, and I do understand it, I'd like to know more about it. Absolutely. So this is actually believed to be one of the most common eating disorders in the U.S. And with, you know, I was going to say without getting too political, fuck that, let's get political. Yes, mean that, please. Uh, please. So, you know, I think it's pretty well known that our food consumption in this country is horrendous compared to the rest of the world. And the way we produce food and make food is deliberate to get us addicted to it. 
Right. The amount of chemicals and sugar and, you know, all the added things that aren't, that don't need to be in processed food. That's right. But they're, they're there for the sole purpose of making us want to eat it again and more and more and more. Exactly. And so, you know, when I have a, a binge eating relapse, I'm not binging on carrots and apples. I'm binging on donuts and ice cream and cereal, high carb, high sugar, high fat foods. Okay. Why? Well, what I have learned over the years, and again, for me personally, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone. I believe all of, all of my things tie into trauma. And I think I, I learned very young and my earliest memory of doing this without realizing what I was doing is probably seven or eight. We would get donuts, not every weekend, but frequently. Mm-hmm. And we would usually get them on a Sunday. It was like our thing. And I was very anxious about school. I was bullied a lot and I didn't have friends and I was always weird. And so Sunday nights were difficult for me because I was dreading going to school. Right. And I would find myself just eating donut after donut after donut to the point where I would feel sick. I had what my dad would call a sour stomach and would give me like Tums or something. And I'm probably exaggerating because this is, you know, my kid memory. It felt like I was nauseous or vomiting, not self-induced, but vomiting from physically eating too much. Like my little child body couldn't handle it almost every Sunday night. And probably the anxiety too. Yes. You know, the overeating and the anxiety yes. of, about going back to school on Monday probably just caused everything. That's right. So basically every Sunday you were just miserable. Yes. And so kind of to go into why those certain foods, I think I learned very young that those foods, if eaten in large quantities, would create this kind of sedative feel. And that's what I still experience to this day of it just kind of sedates me. And, you know, everyone kind of jokes about like, I'm in a sugar coma. I think that would really happen in some sense because it would calm me enough where even to this day, I will typically take a very long nap after a binge episode. And that's what you're shooting for? That's what you're aiming for? Not necessarily that specifically, but I think the calming down effect of it. Mm. So I think, I think there's different layers here. I think there's one... The food, when you first eat it, because it is high fat and high sugar, it's triggering those neurotransmitters in your brain that are actually the same as opiates. Um, So you're getting that euphoric feeling of that sugar rush and that like calm. And it makes you want more. And it makes you want more. And then you eat more. And then the more you eat, your body starts to slow down because now it's got to process all of this food, all of these carbs. And then for me, at least, I would typically go into several hours of sleeping. The the discomfort never stopped you from overeating? Unfortunately, no. That's why, I mean, I've, I've often commented that I would not be a good candidate for these weight loss surgeries because they depend on someone being uncomfortable with being full. Right. <laughs> and I'm not com- not uncomfortable being full. So when I eat too much and I get that full feeling, it's the most uncomfortable thing. I just, I feel like shit. Yeah. I, I do feel sedate, Yeah, you know, but it's not, to me, I don't like it. It hurts. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Um, 
yeah, it's not something I ever want. It's not something I ever try to or get seek to out. Or seek out. Gotcha. I, mean, I definitely do overeat at times. I mean, everyone does. Yeah, but I, as soon as I get that feeling, I'm just like, oh God, what have I done? And then I'm miserable until my body can digest it and process it, you know? Right. What happens for me is I get that feeling. I feel similarly. I don't, I don't like the feeling, but I keep going because now it's become a compulsion. Well, that was my next question. Yeah. Do you think that your OCD and your eating disorder work together or do you think that like if you didn't have OCD do you think that the eating disorder would be more manageable or less um damaging again i think a lot of these tie into one another i think for me personally i do think there is a relationship between my OCD and my binge eating i can't say that's the case for everyone but i do i feel confident in saying I believe most people who have an eating disorder probably have an underlying mental illness and or trauma associated with it. Right. Because I'm literally filling myself. All of these things would benefit from therapy, don't you think? They could. Yeah, for sure. So they could be, you know, with therapy and time and a lot of self-care. Yes. A lot of these things can be dealt with and diminished and you're able to take control of it. Yeah. I think it's kind of one of those things like for someone who's in addiction recovery, it never fully goes away, but I think um, you can learn to manage it. So that's, that's kind of what I've learned in my thirties is that all of this stuff is not for me curable, but it's manageable. I think in my 20s, I was very focused on, I want to address this. I want to get through this. I was very vigorous with therapy about like addressing everything so that I can quote unquote be done with it and move on and move on. And yeah, but it's a lifetime for me. And again, and I think for most people, but I don't, I don't want to disempower anyone because there are there's plenty of research and books out there that are reputable that, that say um, they have had, you know, an eating disorder and they feel that they have cured themselves from it. I'm very leery about the word cure. Right. Or it's over. Um, For me, that sets me up for failure, but there's things that I've learned to do like eating slower, um, Reminding myself the food is going to be there later um, if I want more, starting with a small portion. And then if I want more, having more, but not starting with a huge portion, because then there's that compulsion to finish everything that's on my plate. Exactly. So there's just little things that that I work with. Um, Pre-portioning snacks. Pre-portioning snacks. So I'm really big on like pre-packaged snack size um, popcorns. You know, or if I bring, you know, if I have a a big bag of chips or something, bringing a little container of them to work instead of the entire bag. Right. You know, just like little things like that. Doesn't always work because I may come home and end up having a binge episode. Um, But those are the three most common uh, eating disorders. The other three tend to be more um, childhood oriented. So there's pica where... 
people eat things that are non-food items. Right. Like cement and dirt. Yeah. Dryer sheets, couch cushions. Um, There's rumination disorder. So this is where someone might chew and then spit out their food. Um, They might chew, spit out, re-chew. There's just a lot of getting the satisfaction from the chewing, but not actually ingesting the food. Are they getting any of the nutrients? No, because I I believe you have to digest the food in order to get the nutrients. Okay. And they're not allowing that to happen. They're not even getting the basic nutrients. That's right. So even if they were eating nothing but apples and carrots. Right. Not eating, even if they were chewing nothing but And they're probably not, let's be honest, because I actually did this when I was younger too, around the bulimia compulsive exercising phase, Mm -hmm. I did chew cookies and then spit them out into the garbage. Hmm. It it wasn't as satisfying as I was hoping for. So it didn't, it didn't last very long, but it would satisfy the, the taste cravings, I guess I was having. Okay. Um, And then there's avoidant or restrictive food intake disorder, new name for an old disorder. This article says, Um, This is a feeding disorder of infancy and early childhood. So this is more like um, just real texture, smell, color issues for kids. Like they'll only eat this color food or they can't eat anything that's this texture. Right. And um, I mean, it sounds like it can kind of overlap with some sensory issues. Is that something that is typically like they grow out of it? I believe so because it does say it's reserved. This particular eating disorder is reserved for children under seven. Okay. So I don't know if it then develops into another adult eating disorder or if it is something that then maybe, you know, kind of migrates to like a sensory processing disorder. So it's just a little bit about those. Um, Yeah. So for me, and I, I think for a lot of folks, these these things all kind of tie in together. I vacillate between feeling like I have food addiction, and then sometimes I feel like I don't. I'm just addicted to the act of compulsive eating. I don't know. Jury's out. Semantics at this point doesn't really matter to right. me. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a little bit of that. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know about the, the two childhood ones. Yeah. Um, I think we've come a long way with identifying, you know, eating disorders and being able to acknowledge that they exist in the realm of mental health. Right. And just, I mean, I know that I'm old, but, you know, when I was younger, it wasn't stuff that was talked about. It was all mental health in general wasn't right. talked about. It was kept quiet. You know, if you if you did seek the services of a, of a therapist or yes. a psychiatrist, psychologist, it was, it was hush hush. Right. You know, I never knew anybody who was on medication for mental health issues. Right. It just wasn't something that was talked about outside of like your immediate family. Even in the eighties and nineties, I feel the same way. Like, I mean, there was that one girl that was in my class every year in elementary school. And at 12 o'clock, she had to go to the nurse for what I'm, I'm assuming now looking back was, Ritalin or some kind of stimulant for ADHD, but that was the only context I had. It was very, um, it was both understood, but not talked about. Right. 
Um, so if we had a substitute teacher, we would all be like, she has to go to the nurse at 12 o'clock and take her medication. But we didn't know what it was. Could it have been insulin? You know, I'm not sure. That's I mean, a good question. It could have been insulin prior to lunch. It could have been. Just just curious. Yeah. I think, you know, as an adult looking back, I assumed it was ADHD because she was a pretty hyper kid. <laughs> but it could have been something like that. Sure. It's interesting to look at the generational differences with, you know, how mental health issues have been dealt with. Because like I said, you know, growing up, I never knew anybody who had any kind of issues uh, that just weren't talked about. You know, no. I didn't know anybody on medication. I didn't know anybody who, yeah, it was just never talked about. I, you know, we didn't have, um, I can't say we didn't have. I never heard of anyone who was autistic nope. or ADHD, ADD, ODD. None of this was ever, I, I never heard of it. In those terms, right? In those terms. Like I heard of like, this kid's hyper. I heard things like this, this, this kid doesn't listen. This kid's out of control. Right. Um, um, this kid eats too much sugar and that's why he's always bouncing that's off right. the freaking walls. Um, yeah, it's weird. And and now like my, my kids are, um, my kid has grown and, but I, you know, I have, I have close friends that have young children. And so I'm hearing all of this. Yes. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because I, I believe that if we, if we talk about things and we make things, come to the front. Yeah. Then we can deal with them. Right. And instead of saying, Oh, this kid is just crazy. This kid is just wild. You know, go ahead and talk about it. He has ADHD. Let's, let's work on different techniques for giving this kid an outlet for right. his, you know, his hyperness or whatever. Um, and, and it's, I, I, I think it's empowering. I do too, especially the label I seemed to grow up with for myself personally from the adults in my life. I was a difficult child. Difficult. Difficult. Huh. That was that was uh, reiterated often. I was difficult because I had severe anxiety and depression from a very young age. I had really intense separation anxiety from my mom. And to the point where I spent the first couple of months of first grade crying every single day. In class? In class. And, you know, my poor friends who were all six years old like I was, they were really, you know, understanding at first. And then I clearly remember, I mean, being weeks into school and here we are at lunch and I'm crying again. And one of them turning to the other and saying, she's crying again. Like it, the messages I got even from other kids was, this was too much. Right. So too much and difficult are labels that I still, and you witnessed it this week because I had a, a bit of a rough week mentally and I felt like a burden. I felt difficult and I felt too, too much. much. And I kept thanking you for being patient with me, for being extra. That's my new way of, you know, low key apologizing. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of, weaned myself off of apologizing for my behavior. That's completely understandable given that I have mental illnesses, right. but now I've taken to thank you for being patient with me. I know I've been extra, or I said to you just last night, 
you win the wife of the week award. I certainly didn't win wife of the week award. That's not even something we do. These just this verbal acknowledgement of like all that you had to endure because I was so difficult this week at 39 still stays with me after all of these years. Right. Even though as long as we've been together, I mean, I hope that I've shown you that you're, you're not difficult. You're you not have too much. You, you have, know. I mean, you're, you're literally the, the first person <laughs> like that I've been close to that has said that. So it's, it's still new, even though we've been together for almost four years, it's still new. Um, but I, you know, I remember going to, Girl Scout day camp and my mom having to pull me out because I was just a nervous wreck. I could, I wasn't eating. I wasn't eating my dinner. I was depressed. I didn't want to go the next day. Um, but all of this, you know, got labeled, you know, in the eighties and nineties as I was a difficult child. Right. Just too much. I ruined holidays and I was told I, I ruined holidays and looking back, I think having mental illness that wasn't addressed or, being helped or talked about, I realize now like change, a lot of noise, a lot of people, a lot of busyness is very triggering for my anxiety. Right. Um, change in routine. So even though I loved being on Christmas vacation when I was a kid, I did have a hard time not having a routine. Um, and so any of those changes would be enough to, you know, I make me start crying or become irritable and, you know, then it would just become like, oh, there goes Melissa ruining another holiday. Right. And I think it's the unexpected. I, I, yeah. I, I don't, I need to know what, what to expect, what's going to happen. I don't like to be surprised or shocked or put on the spot or, I mean, that's why I'm a creature of habit. I tend to eat at the same restaurants. I tend to buy the same things at the grocery store. That's right. I tend to wear the same things because I don't want surprises. Yep. I, I know exactly how those shoes fit. I know exactly that's right. how this is going to taste at the restaurant. Um, and so I, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not going to be disappointed in anything. Right. And, and, I, and I think it goes along, you know, when I was younger, I too was the difficult child. Oh, okay. I was the middle child of three girls, my mm. poor parents. And, you know, I, I was the, I was the only one who was beat. Mm. I was frequently told that I was ruining things. And interesting. I mean, luckily I didn't have any sort of attachment issue with either of my parents. I mean, I, I always wanted to go off, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was always looking for ways to escape. Right. 